0: supported by SAF Markets. SAF Markets provides comprehensive analysis and commentary on foreign exchange and asset markets, a multi-asset approach incorporating FX, fixed income, equity and commodity markets. As nothing is permanent, we strive to get ahead of the curve in an ever-changing world. SAF Markets, getting ahead of the curve. Hello and welcome to In Conversation with Shyam Davani, where every so often I will engage in a dialogue with experienced professionals on matters of finance, business and current affairs. My guest today is Jim Rogers, one of the best-known investors and financial commentators whose experience spans 60 years. After winning a scholarship to Yale, where he studied history, Jim went on to read philosophy, politics and economics at the University of Oxford. In 1973, Jim co-founded the Quantum Fund with George Soros. By 1980, the fund had gained 4,200%. Since deciding to retire at the age of 37, Jim continued to manage his own portfolio and served as a professor of finance at the Columbia University Graduate School of Business. He's been the author of numerous books, including Hot Commodities and A Bull in China. His experience and demonstrated success, combined with his ability to think independently and communicate frankly, makes him a fascinating speaker to listen to. Time magazine once described him as the Indiana Jones of finance. Jim, thank you very much for uh, joining me on the podcast. It's uh, my absolute pleasure to welcome you today. Thank you for coming.
1: I'm delighted to be here, Sham.
0: I have to really take a big picture, look at things when I speak and meet someone of your caliber and your experience when did you start can you remind me when you started in markets well i'm, I'm i thank
1: you for the comment but i'm, a, I'm just a simple person champ uh, i started in the markets in the summer of 1964. i got a summer job on wall street not because i knew anything about wall street or i i knew wall street was in new york and I know something had bad had happened in 1929, but I didn't know anything else. I, did, I didn't know there was a difference in stocks and bonds. I thought they were the same thing, but I, I met a guy that I liked and he offered me a summer job, so I took it and fell in love with Wall Street. I thought I was gonna go to law school and medical school and business school before, but then I did not go to law school, business school, or medical school. When I could, I went to Wall Street. So it's been a long time.
0: And obviously, the 1960s, when you started, the monetary framework was entirely different, wasn't it? You had <laughs> currencies that were effectively pegged to the dollar that was pegged to gold, uh, and that all changed in the 1970s.
1: Yeah, well, lots of things have changed since 1964, Shab. Uh Things change every 15 or 20 years. Yeah, there have been gigantic changes in the world since 1964.
0: Fair enough. But what I'm trying to get to here is... When we see interest rates in major economies that have gone nowhere for more than nearly a decade in Europe, two decades in Japan, and in the case of the United States, only made it to 2.5% before they had to reverse and come down to zero, it really, from a long-term perspective, starts to beg a question whether there's something up with this monetary framework in which we're operating. Where Do you have any views on that, where we might be going? Because... They can't get their inflation targets. They can't manage the economy ups and downs. They're doing amazingly wild things that were unthought of even when I was at university in terms of expanding their balance sheets and buying all sorts of assets.
1: Well, the bond market worldwide went through a 40-year bull market between the end of the Second World War and 1981. Or I should say interest rates went through a bull market. They went from nothing to over 20% short term, In I'll use the US as an example. So you had a 40-year decline in the price of bonds, a 40-year rise in interest rates. Since 1981, we've had the reverse. We've had a 40-year bear market uh, in interest rates, or 40-year bull market in bonds. Bonds have been going up for 40 years. I have no idea if there's any magic to 40 years It's it's just coincidence if you ask me, but you do make a very good point. There have been gigantic changes. One, uh, the U.S. is now the largest debtor nation in world history. No nation in the history of the world has been as deeply in debt as the U.S., and since it's the major world economy, that affects everybody else in the world. When the U.S. decided 10 or 15 years ago to start printing huge amounts of money, the rest of the world did too. And so we've had a huge bull market in bonds for many years now. Uh, It's probably coming to an end, if you ask me, for many, many reasons. Um, And we will have the reverse, and we will go through a period of higher interest rates, higher inflation, unstable currencies, and the U.S. dollar is probably near the end of its century-long reign as the top dog.
0: Yeah, are we, do you feel that we're on the cusp of this at the moment and that there's a real danger that the Federal Reserve gets caught behind the curve in terms of inflation potentially picking up or at least some signs of expectations of inflation? Do you think that can get carried away here or is it too soon?
1: Well, there, there is inflation. Uh, governments lie about it. Um, governments have reasons to lie about it. In the U.S., for instance, government payments are tied to inflation the higher the inflation, the higher they have to pay. So, of course, governments lie about it, so the payments <laughs> stay down. Uh, nothing, nothing unusual about governments lying. They've been doing it for thousands of years. So, yes, there is inflation. Uh, most of us m- most of us know it. Uh, we go to the shop, and we see, oh, my gosh, things are up. Uh, we go to the restaurant, and wherever we go, uh, it has been somewhat disguised here in the last five or six years because oil prices went down a lot for a variety of reasons, and since oil is the single most important factor in in pricing, everything is made based. You got to have electricity. You got to have oil to do anything, yeah. including transport the goods. So oil is the most important factor in inflation. Oil is down, was down for, is down for a variety of reasons. So that that has helped the government's disguise. What is going on? But all of us who shop know that there is inflation. We know that there has been and is inflation. Now, prices are up. Governments lie about it. And it's going to get worse. At least history would indicate it's going to get worse with all the money printing. We will see.
0: You know, one thing I, I have noticed from reading some of your work is this fantastic observation uh, in terms of commodity prices and cycles that they seem to go through some somewhat 17 or 18 year period of outperforming stocks. And it repeats again and again. And I find that fascinating because I see the same sort of cycles that work in the housing market, in the foreign exchange markets. But uh, personally, I have not noticed it um, in, in commodities. I'm trying to work out, Jim, from where we stand here today, where are we in that sort of cycle in 2021? Do you still think there's a, an awful lot more to go on the upside for commodities here?
1: Well, as I look around the world, Sham, uh, it's clear that bonds are in a bubble. Bonds worldwide have never been this expensive in the entire history of the world. So bonds are definitely a bubble worldwide. Um, I look at property. You know, in many cities, Seoul, New Zealand, you, you look around the world, property is certainly in a bubble. In some cities, not everywhere, but in some cities, Stocks are beginning to form a bubble. Uh, some stocks never go down. I mean, Apple goes up every day. Ten Cent goes up every day. Samsung goes up every day. So we're beginning to form bubbles in some stocks. All the signs are there. I mean, you know, new, many new entrants coming into the markets. People very excited. They think they can never lose money, etc. So beginning, but but it's not a complete bubble yet because there's still many stocks that are down. Yeah. So stocks are beginning to form a bubble. So as I look around the world, the cheapest asset class left is commodities. Silver is down 50% from its all-time high. Sugar's down, I don't know, 70% from its all-time high. So as I look around the world, the cheapest asset class at the moment is commodities. It doesn't mean they're going to go up. They can stay cheap, but it, I see the signs. They are probably now in a period when, when commodities will be going up again. Uh, I, am, I own silver. I own gold. I am waiting to buy both mm. in, during this correction. But I would suspect that most commodities, I bought more agriculture recently, I suspect most commodities will be going up for a while. I mean, oil is down over 50% from its all-time high.
0: Well, yeah, it's a bit difficult to buy oil when it's trebled in value in 11 months. I mean, it's 50% off its all-time high, but that was rather temporary. And you can argue last year's low was also temporary, but it's a bit tricky, isn't it?
1: Yeah, of course it's tricky. You think it's easy getting rich? Yeah, I wish it were.
0: Well, we have you here. That's why we're all hoping to get rich.
1: Oh, me? I listen to sham.
0: (laughs) All right, fair enough. Bullish on commodities. And and to what degree do you think Asia really plays a, a role in this? Because a lot of demand is coming here. And it's been an amazing management of COVID. And I mean, China's... Attempting a six percent GDP growth already, uh, and I don't—I believe last year it, 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 the the GDP number was positive. It was the only country in the world? It's a phenomenal turnaround.
1: Well, Asia has done a less bad job, from what we can, what we read anyway. Uh, and and when I look on the internet, I see that people are in the shops in China, people are out and about. So something is definitely happening for the good in mm. many Asian countries. So it seems that Asia has done a less bad job. Uh, To the bigger picture, you know, there are over 3 billion people in Asia. Asia is the largest population center in the world now. And they don't have gigantic debts like the West does. They have debt. Yeah, of course they have debt. Mm. Uh, But you don't have the debt problems that most of the world has. So I would suspect that Asia will continue to do a less bad job than most of the rest of the world
0: going forward. What are, what are your thoughts on the recent developments in Southeast Asia and East Asia in terms of RCEP and the club that they're building for um, less barriers to trade? And
1: Well, yes, you know, Mr. Trump came in and Mr. Trump has uh, almost immediately started making China great again. You know, he pulled, away, pulled America out of the free trade, regime, the Trans-Pacific Partnership, yeah. And everybody in Asia looked around and said, oh, that means Asia. That means China. That means China now is going to dominate Asia, Uh, unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on how you look at it. So, no, Asia is certainly having a great revival. Uh, China is the only country in world history that's been number one three or four times. Great Britain was great once. Rome was great once. Egypt was great once but China's been on top three or four times in history. They've also had catastrophe three or four times and collapse. but they're the only country that after a few decades or a few centuries at the bottom turns around and rises to the top again. That's happening again, and that's benefiting many of their neighbors, Vietnam, Korea, I mean, look around, you can see who's benefiting. So yes, you are going to see more. There have been a couple of free trade agreements in Asia in recent years. To the exclusion of the U.S. Mm. And, uh, I mean, I happen to be an American citizen, and I know it's not good for America, but I have to deal with facts. And, yes, you see more and more revival in Asia. Not everybody in Asia, of course, but I, I can see good things
0: happening in Asia and bad things happening in the West. It seems like they're really outmaneuvering, aren't they? Because you take what China needs, primarily food, energy... And metals for manufacturing. Um, When we talk about food, this Southeast Asia area, or the area that was previously known as Indochina, includes Cambodia and Laos and and, and Vietnam and all that, they produce a lot of food. They can feed a lot of Chinese, which uh, means potentially (laughs) that the Chinese are going to be importing much less agricultural products from the United States. Well,
1: History, what do you think of that? Him. History mm. is always
0: going through gigantic changes.
1: Um, in one of my books, I talk about the fact that no matter what you think in any year, 15 years later, it's going to be different. And you can pick any year in history, 1900. Everything that people knew was true and factual in 1900 was totally wrong in 1915. Pick any year. It's not my saying. It's just a simple yeah. fact. You can look it up. So yes, the world has always and is always going through huge change, including now, including what you just said about China and and Asia. Uh, but the bigger picture with agriculture is agriculture worldwide has been a disaster for a long time. Things are so bad that the average age of farmers in America is 58. In Japan, it's 66. You know, the highest rate of suicide in the UK is in agriculture. We all know about. Suicides in India, you know, Australia can't you pick the country. Farmers are dying out. More people in America study public relations than study agriculture. So if you ask me, we're near a bottom. I told you I bought agriculture not long ago, and we're nearing a bottom in agriculture that is probably going to go up for a while. You read back in history or novels and you know that at times Farmers have been masters of the universe and rich and successful, and that's probably going to come again in the next 10, 15, 20 years. Southeast Asia does have a history of, and for a variety of reasons, has the capability to produce a lot of agriculture, as you point out. So Sham, if you don't like Living in Singapore, maybe she should go and start a farm somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> Very <interesting. laughs> Start a farm in Singapore.
0: <laughs> well, a place that does have a, you know, quite a, a size of agricultural sector and a country I do want to get your opinions on is India. In the past, you were not as excited about a country like India compared to the other developing parts of the world at the time, if we go back, what, maybe 20 years or so. Oh, 15 years is is that still the case today jim or or what are your thoughts on india in 2021 well, I mean, Jim? if
1: you can only visit one country in your life i mm. urge you to go to india mm. it is an extraordinary country for man-made sites natural sites religions languages food I mean, everything it's astonishing you know many indian women are win- always winning the international beauty contest i mean it's an amazing place to visit However, it is all I've traveled around the world a couple of times, and it does have the world's worst bureaucracy. <laughs> you know, they learned bureaucracy from the English, and then they took it to a higher level. <laughs> uh, they're good at everything, uh, many things they do. So, no, I, I, um, I, I love going to India. It's one of my favorite countries, but I'm afraid that the, the country still has a gigantic bureaucracy. They Put a lot of laws in place back to agriculture. You know there are huge regulations and controls in India on agriculture, and governments always say it's for your own good. Ha! You know it's some government bureaucrat making protecting his job. Uh, In in India, it's illegal to own more than five hectares of land. Now five hectares is great if you don't have anything else, but how are you going to compete with a Canadian farmer? who's got 50,000 hectares, or an Australian or a Russian. So India, while it's a fantastic country, it's right. very hard to be a big farmer if you can only five, own five hectares. Now, and there are many other regulations. There are change, supposedly changes taking place now. Uh, but to the, the main answer to your question is, If India, if India opened up again... I suspect India would be a much greater success than it is at the moment. You know, as recently as 1980, India was much richer than China. Well, you know what's happened since. Uh, The Indians at times have been gigantically successful, but at times they have not been, and I'm afraid now we have too much bureaucracy, too many regulations, and debt is building up in India. India doesn't like to talk about it, but if you do your research you'll find that there's a lot of debt built up in in india so while i love india a lot i don't see it i don't see it becoming great again anytime soon because of too many regulations controls you know it's it's very difficult for a foreigner to invest in india it's very the currency is not totally convertible many possible problems mm. in India, but if they would open up again, it could be mm. one of the but- great countries of the world again. Mr. Modi's not, Mr. Modi talks a good game. No, he's, he's a very popular and, and uh, exciting person, but unfortunately, his talk is better than his actions.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, let's see if they make it that way, because I was quite, quite impressed by the We talk about currency. It's been the most stable currency over the past year, actually. It's been less volatile than a lot of the others. Obviously, they've they've, they've smoothed well, it in out, as it were. But yeah. uh, India has a, the has been somewhat stable because it's controlled. Well, I they mean, managed uh, to do that because they built up the fourth largest foreign exchange reserves, which is quite a, a position for a country like India. But
1: they also have debts. As I said, they don't mm. like talking about the debt. The government announced a new deficit a budget a few weeks ago. You know, again, it's got very large deficits. Look, India is a wonderful country, and they they shouldn't listen to anybody except themselves. But I don't see I don't see that right things happening in India
0: now. Let me ask you a, a bit more of a um, How long have you lived in Singapore now? Permanently since 2007. So it's quite some time. Can I ask you, having been here since then? Have your impressions of Asia changed? And being an American, living in Asia, have your impressions of the United States changed? And in which ways?
1: In The United States is now the largest detonation in world history. We were 15 or 20 years ago, but it's gotten higher and higher and higher and higher. Uh, the U.S. and many countries have become more insular. More countries are closing off which has never been good in history. It's happened many times in history that countries close off uh, and it's happening again. Uh, So there there are huge changes taking place as there always have been and always will be. But the ones I see taking place now are not necessarily good. Debt is skyrocketing. Controls are skyrocketing. Closing off is happening everywhere. No, I don't particularly like what I see, but one has to deal with facts.
0: And uh, finally, the... Going back round in a circle in terms of financial market cycles and turns and ultimately, you know, what goes up comes down eventually. But in your mind, the making of bubbles, whether we see them in the stock market or the property market, in your mind, roughly, when are you paying the most attention for a particular major turn? And I'm really talking about the United States because the biggest of the bubbles end up there usually.
1: Well, as I said, agriculture, I I bought more agriculture recently, so I can see, I think I can see that turn coming. Gold and silver, I I will be buying more. There's a correction going on. I I hope that I'm smart enough to buy more of both during this correction. Um, Before this is over, gold and silver will probably go through the roof whenever people lose confidence in governments or currencies they always turn to always have turned to gold and silver well i'm an old peasant all of us old peasants know when things go wrong we better have some silver in the in the closet we better have some gold under the bed so i will be buying more of those cuz i see more problems developing this is all in process i own a lot of us dollars mm. but i would suspect that the us dollar will make a big top sometime here in the next couple of years during the turmoil. People always look for a safe haven. They think the US dollar is a safe haven for historic reasons. It's not. with the largest debtor nation in world history, but people think it's a safe haven. So I can see the changes coming. I can see the bubbles developing in stocks around the world, uh, and bubbles always end badly. So sometime in the next two or three years, you're probably going to see gigantic changes again. Bonds have been in a 40-year bull market, 40-year bull markets are wonderful, but very few 40-year bull markets last forever. So I can see the changes coming down the roads in the next year or two or three. You're probably going to see huge changes in interest rates, prices, inflation, currencies, just about everything.
0: Jim it's been a pleasure talking to you thank you very much
1: thank you thank you Jim my pleasure let's do it again sometime excellent
0: thank you